What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pitcher Best Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas is Matthew Morris. What's up, brother? You know, I hate driving in this city at 4 p.m. How to get the oil changed today? 10,000 miles on the new Toyota. They finally hit it. Get the oil changed, rotate the tires. You know, day's good. I, I did some disc golf this morning before I got the tires and oil changed. And I'm driving home, you know, excited to go to the gym. By the time I get home, the last thing I want to do is go to the gym because driving 17 miles was like fighting in World War II. And uh, it's just crazy that Las Vegas is as infuriating as traffic was in LA. And I just hate driving in this city. And that's, that is my takeaway. I also am coming off of a 10 and a half hour drive a five and a half hour drive and a seven hour drive. So I think in reality, I'm just over driving. So driving to work this week is going to be just fantastic. Yep. Find yourself a little small town like me, pal. That, that That's the number one driver for keeping me here. 15 minute drive is 15 miles, baby. I'm moving go to Fresno. Vi- go, th- go through the vineyard. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. There's traffic <laughs> there too. Go through the vineyard. Check out the different grapes, the leaves. The hillside, watch out for just one pothole, no big deal. <laughs> and and you're at your destination, which is either the grocery store or the brewery. Like it's it's a fucking beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Or the ocean, you know? So I, I just live in my slice of heaven out here. Can't relate anymore. Honestly, tough life. Tough life. Can't re- can't relate anymore. Used to, but when people out where I live now bitch about traffic, I laugh. And say, don't ever talk to me about traffic. When I lived in Costa Mesa, worked in Fountain Valley, 10 miles, 45 minutes each way every time, no matter what time of the day, unless it was midnight. By the way, I heard that our 24-hour subway is no longer 24 hours. I can't confirm that. Ooh. But a person who lives on Newport Street right there was letting me know he's also kind of a square. So like there's no way he's actually been broke enough or desperate enough to need a subway sandwich at three in the morning. So uh, once again, can't confirm or deny will be disappointed if it's true though. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to this guy at the gym. Must've been yesterday. Was it and, today? And it wasn't today. Cause no, I did not go today. <laughs> uh, love my new gym. We've had that conversation real low key. Uh, good, good people. No one's ever in there. Awesome machines. Anyways, he's a nice guy. We've tied a couple conversations and he was just like, Oh, you know, like, you know, I've seen you a couple of times now. I haven't seen you here before. I was like, Oh yeah, I just started. He's like, you just get into working out. And I said, listen, <clears throat> I know I'm 115 pounds. Yes. 150 in reality. Um, but I used to be 190 and uh, I used to actually be able to do some really good weight in the gym because I would eat Subway every single day and I didn't have a job and I played video games with my buddy in his room. That's all we did. Uh, so yes, I, 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 I did not um, at the time. It was fantastic. I miss those days and I also mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I think going into the equation is if I lived in an area like yours, I wouldn't have the gym or I wouldn't have certain aspects. So it's a trade-off, you know, and 
um, you know, we've talked a lot, like you have issues, like you said, finding a gym like I have been able to find, but I'm in a large metropolitan city area. But it, the drawback to that is I get infuriated driving across town because that's just how it works. Yeah. I also cannot find the high or low quality strippers that you can either, but that's neither here nor there. You know, that's just, I don't just, live in Vegas. Just so. come sit down at my restaurant. I <laughs> yeah. introduce you to five of them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, you know, somewhat of a good transition to where we wanted to start the podcast today. You actually wanted to talk about money. You know, we used to be broke and eat $5 foot longs and hopefully a free cookie. If we got lucky enough, don't get the spinach. <laughs> a couple times we did, yeah. Don't get the spinach after 10 PM. I repeat, um, <laughs> that's a mistake. But you wanted to talk about money, actually a little bit in Major League Baseball, because we're getting really close here to a lot of big name signing. Obviously, Shohei Otani is the big prize of the ball here in Major League Baseball for this offseason. But you wanted to bring it up, talk about how it relates, what you think is good, bad, ugly about it. And then we're going to tie that into kind of what we saw in week 13 of the NFL and what we're seeing within our in quotes contenders and what's happening to some of the teams we thought were favorites that aren't now. Um, and then we'll dive deep into the episode about what we think for this upcoming week, but start off with just a bit of baseball talk, but we'll turn it into football too. So off to you, Matthew. Well, yeah. And, and the relation really is with major league baseball, not having a salary cap in the NFL, having a salary cap, how you see drastic differences in both sports you know industry-wide the expectation is that Shohei Otani is going to sign with the Dodgers the Dodgers over the last couple seasons have been anticipating this opportunity um, and navigating their payroll as such they currently have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman under really big contracts Mookie more than Freddie uh, they allowed Corey Seager to walk you know the Trevor Bauer money is now off the table so they've they freed up some money, but the anticipation was for Otani. Now again, Mookie bets three hundred plus million dollars. I want to say Freddie's at one seventy, maybe plus. Um, that's a lot of money on the books already. Adding in what is expected from my perspective, six fifty, six hundred fifty million is what I am <laughs> expecting Otani to sign for. It's it could be completely different than that, but that's that's the number I'm seeing and reading and that's the expectation so now you're talking about three players on one payroll a 26-man roster but three players together over a billion dollars in total signed money now Mookie and Freddie are in a couple of years into their deals so obviously if we were to actually look at it it might be a little bit under but that's still what it is is over a billion for these three players if Otani signs for 650 now, the difference is, again, no salary cap. The difference is also the Dodgers have one World Series championship, it being in 2020. So there, for some people, is an asterisk. I, I don't think so. But overall, it's been a disappointment with the money that LA has spent and the lack of results. Now, you look at that similarly across time in Major League Baseball, the Yankees had that problem. Different times, different money thresholds but spent a lot of money, didn't have a lot of results, ultimately had won that one World Series with Alex Rodriguez. So similar components to that. Now, how I want to tie it in with the NFL is you look at the parity in the NFL right now. You look at a lot of the bad teams. You look at even the good teams with question marks, right? We saw that this Sunday with the Chiefs, who I still think is a, a very good football team, but 
because of the money allocated to Patrick Mahomes. We've talked week after week. They have sacrificed the wide receiver position. They have sacrificed other positions. We saw that over the last two weeks for the Chiefs, and it was on full display. Now, in Major League Baseball, if you have the money and you can spend the money, there doesn't necessarily have to be a single hole on your team. But if we look at Shohei Otani signing with the Dodgers, they're sacrificing some outfield depth. They're sacrificing some starting pitching depth. And I'm really interested to see what happens with this Dodgers team. If you're going to allocate a billion dollars to three players, does that guarantee a World Series ring? To me, no. And then B, but is it still worth it? And I think if you talk about Shohei Otani signing in Los Angeles, the opportunity in a market of roughly 17 billion people is what I'm estimating LA to be at right now. Million. um, On the record. Yes. Sorry. Did I say billion? That would be Mm, wild. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That market now paired with the Japanese market probably in a way almost pays for the contract itself. And there are two cities that can say that. There is LA and there is New York. New York, I think, would do the same thing for Shohei. Uh, would do the same thing for the Yankees in terms of revenue derived from his stardom, from who he is as a celebrity in, in the Japanese market. Outside of those two cities, I don't think you're getting the same revenue stream. Chicago would be okay, but wouldn't be the same. Boston would be okay, but again, not the same. So New York, from what we're hearing, is out, so that leaves LA. And I think when you talk about, again, a non-cap, there are only one or two guys, maybe generationally, that can draw the revenue stream that Shohei Otani can. Ichiro probably could have been another one, but different time, different pay structure was playing in Seattle. So there's a lot of pieces to that. And I I just happened to think after watching this Chiefs and Packers game, how the NFL would be such a different sport if A, there was no salary cap, which would be the wild, wild west. And Jerry Jones would have every single player he wanted. But B... <laughs> If they implemented something that we've talked about in the past, which is a positional salary cap as opposed to the overall salary cap or blended into what is currently the revenue salary cap sharing program that they have where quarterbacks are getting $50 million. That's it. That is your cap. You're not allowed to be paid more. And how it might also leverage a different style of play. Conversation you and I had before we jumped on was kind of the running backs and the touches that they're getting and, and the differences we're seeing now from when you know when Adrian Peterson played or even dating back to when Lindania Tomlinson played. What is a position cap cause a difference in game style? And, you know, we can just think about that and, and leave it up to what could be because it will never happen because of the players' association. But last thing I want to say to tie it all in. Uh, you have one more player in Major League Baseball that's coming over from Japan. Uh, this is Yamamoto, who was supposed to sign for $200 million, then it was 230 then it was 250 People are saying now it could be even $300 million. Um, And this is a dominant, dominant player at 25 years old. He's won two back-to-back MVPs. He doesn't have the same notoriety that Shohei does because he's not a hitter as well as a pitcher. But this is an individual, too, that will be interesting to see how his signing and his market can really start to derive value as well because Shohei is the big name. But if you take Shohei out of the, the equation, I think this is the number one Japanese player to ever come stateside, uh, more so than Daisuke Matsuzaka and all the names that were before him, even, even before Ichiro. Well, it's probably third because Ichiro was 
pretty mega. Um, but again, from a money perspective, where, where he signs, it probably won't be LA if Shohei signs there. So is it New York? And then we get to watch how this revenue stream plays out down the road. Does does Yamamoto really draw in $300 million in, in fan revenue to pay for his contract like Otani is expected to in LA? And, and how will that really affect the sport? Will it allow the Yankees to spend more because they're drawing in more revenue? Things that we can't equate in the NFL. And I think thankfully in the NFL, because if you thought about how it would differ, the Packers would lose Jordan Love. The Packers would lose Jair Alexander. Pa- the Packers, the Chiefs, certain teams in markets that are smaller just wouldn't be able to compete with the Dallas, with the New York Giants, with the New York Jets, with the LA Rams. And it would be even more of a unwatchable sport than it currently is. Uh, and, and finally, to wrap it all in, a buddy t- talked to me today about the concept of expansion in the NFL and how we currently don't have enough talent to even support the current standing of the NFL, which is a problem I think we've discussed. But I actually would argue against it because of what we're seeing in baseball. If you can get players developed in other countries and you can tap into the marketing potential and dollar of those countries, those teams themselves are self-sustainable. The problem is, can the product rely that as well? And we're talking about an issue 50 years down the road. If you have a, a, a league in London or you have two teams in London, you know maybe it's 30 years before you start having professional NFL players coming out of London and then Germany and then Italy. You know That's maybe 50 to 100 years from now. But you start to tap into those financial markets as well, much like Shohei and Yamamoto are doing with, with Japan. So that's the money talk for today. I threw a lot at you, but <laughs> I'm, I'm finding the curiosity between how baseball is working on its revenue and how the NFL is working on its revenue. Yeah, I, I, I actually think uh, your your hypothesis for basically European football, I mean, American football in your in Europe. Uh, the better case study is basketball and yep. how long it took from the dream team to now arguably the best players in the NBA being from overseas, right? Most of the Americans, best Americans are being outclassed right now by foreigners, which is actually a really, really interesting case study to see when that tide turned <clears throat> and now like where our top MVP candidates for I think it's about to be four years in a row are all going to be guys that came from outside the United States and how traditional basketball is played more in Europe than it is in the States. Right. Uh, something I'm passionate about, but is an off off season topic. Uh, I am one thing I did want to bring up about your your money talk here, which is interesting regarding the cap and no salary cap in baseball is you had mentioned, do you. Do you think Shohei Otani on the Dodgers wins the World Series? You said no, right? And which is what's kind of the the irony behind spending to win, right? And that was something that we covered during the World Series in the playoff run of, oh, wow, it's hilarious that the Dodgers didn't make it. The Padres didn't work out for them the way that we all thought it would work out for them coming into the season. The Phillies made a nice run, but ended up losing to this small market, in quote, small market Arizona Diamondbacks team. And I think the way I tie that into football is money allocation, our favorite word, roster construction of how you want to spread that capital, that cap space across your team. And that's obviously why we have so much parity, right? The team with the second round or the second overall pick last year is fighting for a playoff spot now. but 
I think it's really interesting to see different organizations and teams and what they prioritize with their cap space, with their basically their biggest contracts, right? And I think the most interesting team over the past, we'll say seven, eight years, maybe even a decade, is the San Francisco 49ers, right? They've never prioritized the quarterback contract. They paid Jimmy G good money, not top of market money. And he was the highest paid quarterback they've had. And they're more than likely going to what is it now? Their fourth NFC championship game here in the past, I don't know, 10 years. And they're a funny, they're a funny concept because they, instead of paying the 45, $50 million for a quarterback, they have dispersed those funds to other skill positions where we talk about from a fan perspective, being super jealous that that's not the team I get to root for. Cause they have Fred Warner, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, Christian McCaffrey, all these guys. Right. And it's like, Oh, but we got, I won't say lucky, but they were strategic enough to find a guy like Brock Purdy with an elite head coach, which also is another thing I wanted to bring out to what you had said about your buddy mentioning there's a talent problem in the NFL. I disagree. I think it's a coaching and culture problem. Like I genuinely think it's time to really start transitioning out of some of these older coaches, right? There's no reason the Washington commanders should be playing man to man coverage after just firing their defensive coordinator on Tyreek Hill. Like there's stuff like that. That's actually a joke. Like I like Ron Rivera. He's a good coach, had a nice run, but there's no room for that. Like you're getting embarrassed. Tyreek Hill had three catches for 150 yards in like the first quarter. Like that, that is just about practice, right? And you kind of see that all across the league, even with a team like New Orleans, we see it with the Jets. The Jets are kind of in a unique situation, but I think we're more or less looking at a culture and a coaching issue than talent because our Green Bay Packers are a perfect example, right? I was on the lowest of lows a month ago. They have plenty of talent to win games. They just had to find the right culture and the right coaching scheme to beat a team like the Chiefs. We wouldn't have thought four weeks ago they could do that. So I think it's interesting how the salary cap plays with the GM's mind and each specific owner's way of dispersing the money with their general manager because it really does take a lot to have a complete team and there's always going to be holes, whether it's baseball whether it's football, because I bet you the I bet you the Dodgers second or third relief pitcher isn't going to be as good as it could have been because they have all that money allocated, just like a team like Dallas wasn't able to sign one or two extra guys because they had that Ezekiel Elliott contract where now they ditch that bringing a guy like Brandon Cooks who can really offset CD Lamb. Now they have him and Gallup and Pollard's still pretty good. And, you know, things seem to mesh a little bit better for them. Well, it's interesting. You threw a lot out there that I, I want to hit on. And I'm going to start with the correlation between the 49ers and the San Diego Padres. Um, because you're right. The Niners did not pay their quarterback, but they paid assets for the attempt to have their quarterback. That was the Trey Lance trade. Huge yes. miss, huge miss. But you have a general manager in Lynch who was a player. And has been able to absolutely dominate with the assets he does have. In a lot of ways, making up for, if not exceeding, the value that he gave away for Trey Lance. Falling into Brock Purdy, unbelievable luck. Fred Warner, unbelievable. Like this, this, at this point, it's not luck, it's scouting. So 
that is an absolute credit to what they've been able to do. And if you look at what the Padres were able to do, they've done very similar with their Juan Soto trade. They gave up a lot of great potential players. Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, CJ Abrams, really nice season in 2022, excuse me, 2023, you know, finally showing that potential. James Wood in the minor leagues, Robert Hassel, um, Susanna, young pitcher, a lot of really high end talent. They moved for that Soto deal. And it sucked their system dry. Now, here we are a year and a half later. They have rebuilt that system, and it's a pretty good system again. The difference is the Padres have not succeeded. The other difference is the Padres, we did not know, had an owner that was dying and is now dead who wanted to win a World Series. So he said, I'll spend. Makes total sense. I know I've got X amount of days That's left. That's actually pretty legendary, honestly. It, like, it sucks that it didn't work out for him, but like... But he, he said, "Screw only it." Live once. Yeah, yeah, and and he's now gone. And is it any surprise that the Padres have to take out a loan, and the Padres are just now shelling off salary and trying to move Juan Soto now that this individual has passed away, which is really, really sad, but awesome yeah. from an owner's perspective. Something that I think needs a story of its own, because that is exactly what you should do. That's what I would do. It's what I would do. Um, but they didn't have the success that the 49ers did. And I think it is exactly because of what you said, choice of roster construction. The Padres chose to have Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, you know, traded for some pitchers that didn't work out. Oh, okay. Well, now we don't have the money to go out and get better players, better bullpen guys, right? We traded for a hater, but we didn't have the setup guy. We didn't have the second baseman, the first baseman. We didn't have the catcher. Those things really, really, really matter, not only in baseball, but what we're seeing it in football. And I wanted to finish off just with everything you said by saying, I think the equivalent to what Shohei Otani is doing in Major League Baseball is if Patrick Mahomes this offseason was an open free agent. No, no franchise tag. He's walking. Biggest, biggest bidder. I think you would see 80 to $100 million a year guaranteed to him, and it would cripple. A franchise, but hundred percent. But the logic is, we bring Patrick Mahomes in. The value of this organization just went up half a billion dollars, if not a billion dollars. And we don't need to win a Super Bowl. We have Patrick Mahomes, and the valuation of our franchise, the valuation of our marketing and our media contracts is more important. This is at the end of the day a business. So screw it. We'll pay him 80. We'll pay him 100. 46% of the cap. I don't care. Go sign him. That's the owner, right? The owner is saying, go get him because I'm the one that owns the franchise and is making half a billion dollars in an evaluation based off this signing. And that is the final issue I have. And it's a comment I made today in regards to the expansion with the same individual, Scotty shout out, um, which is the owners in the NFL and the owners in Major League Baseball seem to be the issue. You said coaching. I think it is coaching, but I think all of it starts at the top. The Green Bay Packers being my favorite football team my whole life growing up in Wisconsin, you've seen a different story. You see a team run like an organization, run like a business because there isn't somebody at the top saying, well, I like this quarterback more than that guy. You are drafting this guy, even though I'm paying you to make that evaluation. And we see it all the time in the NFL. And LA is also a little bit different because you have an ownership group, but I see it very similar to the Patrick Mahomes situation where that ownership group is saying, 
you're going to do this. You're going to sign Shohei. You'll figure everything else out. And it'll be really interesting to see if they figure it out because it is already interesting in Kansas City to see if they will be able to figure out the Patrick Mahomes contract. Yeah, I mean, you're telling me the guy who owns Carolina wouldn't give him an $80 million contract? Like, he would. You you make a good point there. (laughs) And and it's funny, too, like, even in football, basketball, baseball, um, I guess hockey, I'm just thinking team sports in general, not all contracts are created equal and not all money translates to victories in championships, a.k.a. Deshaun Watson, right? You know, you you could go through it, not just him, but I just kind of going through the teams here looking like it's the same thing in baseball, right? Not all contracts will guarantee success. Hey, New York Mets, right? Looking very similar to the New York Jets, right? There's very eerily similar parallels this past two seasons. Mets bring in Verlander. Mets bring in Scherzer. Hey, let's make one last run, bring in these veteran pitchers that have playoff experience that can get us there. That falls in the gutter. The Jets obviously bring in Rodgers. He gets hurt. It's a bummer. That team's in fucking shambles. They have Rodgers, Cobb, Lazard all under contract for the next three years. I heard Mike Greenberg on the radio today, just like Alan Lazard is one of the worst receivers I've ever seen. It's like, yeah, man, like, <laughs> like, you, you guys got played, you know, and maybe, maybe Rogers comes back next year and they make a nice run and somehow make the playoffs, you know, whatever. But it's like, you guys did get played. Right. And this is, this is the cost of doing business and not all $11 billion wide receiver contracts are created equal just because you're giving him that money doesn't mean that he's going to go out there and produce. And you see that in, in all sports. And it's it's interesting to see the parallels and what you see and in, from ownership, like you said, but just to the mentality of some of these organizations and how they will go all in on this specific goal and with the specific dollar amount and either have a ton of success or fail miserably. Right. So, um, Interesting topic there. If if Shohei well, gets six fifty, I'll I'll be pretty mind blown. And the last thing I want to say is like this to bring the NBA into this, Matt. LeBron James, we talked about it, greatest athlete of our generation. Well, I think we were in agreement in that. We don't need to talk about greatest basketball and rankings and all that. But my point with bringing LeBron up is he's doing this in year twenty two. Is it twenty? Doesn't matter. Yeah, something was like it that. twenty? Um, he has helped this league grow. He has helped a lot of these superstars sign fifty-five million dollar deals or fifty. Yeah, I think it's at fifty now, right? About fifty a year. It's way up there. Yeah. And in his prime, he was capped. He, they're still capped. You're telling me LeBron James hits the open market in a non-salary cap NBA? They weren't paying him a hundred million dollars a year. Well, year seven, year eight, year twelve, year fourteen. You're 16 because he, he's been that good every single season of his career. But no, LeBron, you, you unfortunately get paid what the current ratio is for the salary cap. Now he's at the end of his career and he's watching guys like James Harden rack in $50 million. And it's like, what? But you were the one to lift this league to the point the, from the TV contracts to the popularity yet you are you know, not as rewarded as some of these other players that are going to come after you. And, and that's, that's just the reality of, of sports. And we're seeing Patrick Mahomes kind of elevate the sport as the number one quarterback in the NFL, but 
he just also coincides with a really nice payday. Rogers at the tail end of that is getting really nice paydays. Um, Peyton Manning never saw the $40 million a year, right? And it, it is interesting to watch generationally how, how the money changes, who benefits, who doesn't benefit. And then you have the one professional sport in baseball that has no salary cap. You're talking about $650 million. That is absolutely ridiculous. But he is the LeBron James or the Patrick Mahomes of baseball. And you're seeing what that means to a sport without a cap. Yeah, definitely. By the way, you're bringing up Japanese legends and you, you didn't even bring up Godzilla, Hideki. You know, come on. Hideki dude. didn't have the same. He hype. had. What? Coming coming in that he had a ton of hype. Yeah. He but was hitting five hundred foot home runs. You might be right, but he, in my opinion, was not even in the same category as what I think Yamamoto is gonna be. I mean, the guy has won two MVPs. He has seven pitches. Yeah, but Japanese he, baseball is different different now. Like it's way more it's way more on the map. I don't know. It is, and it that. is, and they, and they have a dead ball, which it, which needs to be said. Um, they they have a ball that is even more dead than baseballs has been at times. Um, you're right. That's you're that's right. all. I I, I, need, I right. needed. I forgot to bring that up in my rant. Was you're right. Don't forget about Hideki. Even though he went to the Yankees, that would be a he cool, was a fucking like, G. Yeah. Well, and he I has loved the, him. He has one of the greatest movie quotes of all, or he's quoted in one of the greatest movie like sports quotes I've ever seen. In um, is it Knocked Up, where the wife walks know. in, she thinks he's cheating on him, and he's actually just like oh, in the yeah. garage he's doing a fantasy doing draft. baseball That's draft, right. and he's like, "Honey, I got Matsui." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was still to this day something I will always remember because that's something I think it was not I think it was uh, I think it was knocked up. That's great. Yeah. It's All right. Uh, let's let's get into that was great. That was great, man. I'm I'm glad you came up with that idea. Let's uh let's get into a little bit of last week and then uh, there was I think three games we kind of wanted to chat a little bit about for week 14. Um, but we'll, we'll touch along the teams. I mean, the biggest thing we really wanted to get to was obviously the big matchup this past weekend about the Niners, the Eagles. Uh, Eagles got off to a 6-0 start, and then the Niners rattled off six straight touchdowns and um, asserted their dominance in Philadelphia, right? We just kind of talked about it in Money Talk about how they've aligned their construction or their roster construction. And as of today, recording this podcast uh, early into December 6th in the morning, uh, Brock Purdy is now the favorite for the MVP. Everyone thinks Philadelphia is garbage. Um, I will let you go first on your overall take in the game. You were texting me throughout the game. You were completely wrong about Philadelphia. I'm not ready to go that far, but I will let you um, take a, take off first here and I'll respond. Well, yeah, I mean, I came out last week and said, I, I think Philly wins by 10. Um, maybe I even got more ridiculous than that, probably, but I was wrong. Um, and, and watching the first half of that first quarter, I was feeling good. You know, they were moving the ball. They weren't converting touchdowns, though. That was a little scary, but you know, they were holding the 49ers and I thought, okay, this is, this is the tempo we're going to need. They're going to hit a couple big plays. They're going to need a couple, couple touchdowns. They're going to force Purdy to throw the ball. And it just didn't happen. Uh, the 49ers just clicked, you know, and I was watching Purdy utilize McCaffrey, really utilize Debo, um, which was fantastic, but also lean on his other receivers. He 
he was very methodical. I was very impressed. And then from the flip side of that, I, I was a little disappointed in what I saw from the Eagles because they were thrown out of rhythm. And this is the first time I've really seen them thrown out of rhythm throughout, maybe we'll call it three quarters, where I just expected, okay, that they're going to figure it out, bad drive, and they just couldn't. And that game really got away from them. And to me, this solidifies the 49ers as the absolute NFC favorite. And I think barring an injury, this is this is looking like the Super Bowl team. There's, there's almost no one in this conference that can compete with them. I think the Eagles can play a better game against them, but that secondary is of huge concern. And that pass rush at least did not bring the heat like I thought they would against Purdy. And I, that was probably the biggest disappointment I had was there wasn't that interior pressure. And that is their big strong suit. That is where they have spent their assets in the last couple of drafts. And it didn't seem to matter. Um, but outside of that, just incredibly impressed with the 49ers. And then to me, they've created themselves as a class of their own. And I think we'll have a really good opportunity to see what are the Eagles really kind of cement themselves as after this week's matchup. Um, you know, it is, is it a one, two in the NFC or is it a one, two, three with the Cowboys? This game this week will be really important, but I, I've definitely changed my tone on the Eagles. Yeah. I'll, we'll t- I'll touch on the Cowboys in a second. I agree with you. I think you think you're an idiot. If you're not going to say the Niners are the number one team in the NFC right now that you would assume they are, as of the week 14, the team that would go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC barring injury. Um, but that's the biggest thing in barring injury, right? They're, they're a Trent Williams. They're a Debo Samuel or a Trent Williams away from being just as good as the Eagles, right? Yeah. I think my biggest concern with Philadelphia, yes, if we, if you want to go high level, yeah, it's defense, obviously, right? They couldn't get a stop on third down. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt. It's the trenches, they got dominated in the trenches and I'm not surprised to see their O-line struggle against that 49ers defensive front because I mean, what offensive line isn't going to struggle? You know what I mean? But it was that defensive pass rush could not get home. It could not bother Purdy after the first drive, maybe this first two drives Purdy. I think they went three and out, but after that they were completely neutralized. The running game was dominating Philadelphia and that's alarming because we already know they have secondary issues. Their safeties are, you know, they got buyered, but you know, they're they're an average secondary to below average. They need that pass rush to play better. They need Jalen Carter. They need Hassan Reddick. They need everyone to be firing on all cylinders. And um, I mean, they just got spanked. Now, I am like I said, I'm not ready to write them off whatsoever. I'm not ready to put them behind the Cowboys. We are going to get to that game in a little bit later on in the podcast. But I I think similar when 49ers were losing some games. I think it's good to lose when you are this good and have this high of expectations, especially to a team that you are being compared to, because now it gives you tape to work on things. Now I am a little concerned about Hertz because he's not as mobile as you would like him to be. He's definitely, he's definitely playing banged up. Uh, David Carr came out with something today saying that they think he thinks they should play Mariota until he's healthy. I think that's stupid, idiotic. I get the logic behind it, but this top of the NFC and home field advantage matters a lot. I get that the Niners just came into Philly and beat them, but Philadelphia does not want to go to Santa Clara and try and win that game in Santa Clara 
to go to the Super Bowl. They don't. They want that home crowd. They want that nasty weather. They want Philly. You know what I mean? And I think things could slip away from them if they went along with that kind of strategy. I think the Eagles will be fine. We'll talk about the Dallas game here in a few minutes. But uh, they, they got to get it figured out on that defensive pass rusher. That defense is going to keep getting exposed. Well, and and that's why I think this game is, this weekend is so important uh, to really kind of set the tone for expectations moving forward. You and I kind of joked now that Green Bay is in the final wild card spot. If they were to currently match up with the Niners, like that's just not a game we want to watch. At least I want to watch. I would expect the Niners to dominate. Now, I think the Eagles are vulnerable. I think the Eagles could lose that first that first round if they don't get the bye because it's only one bye now, right? Correct. Yeah. Not saying that I would favor whoever has the seven seed by any means. That's that the Eagles would be the favorite at home playing anybody with the seventh seed. But I think it is more of a likelihood that someone could beat them than beating the 49ers. The 49ers, in my opinion, have almost a 0.0 chance of losing against anyone in the first round. The Eagles, though, have shown weaknesses where teams could take advantage. They've shown times where you know, even when fully healthy, they can't get the rhythm going, which was this past week. So if I'm the Eagles, to your point, this is crucial that we get this first round by and they have to be Dallas this week and they have to hope that the 49ers slip up again. I mean, I think if the Eagles win out, it's kind of over. They have it, correct? With yeah, win they're loss up, record. They're, yeah, they're, they're up currently at the one on yeah. Dallas and San Francisco. But San Francisco has the tiebreaker on Dallas and Philly because San Francisco beat Dallas that weekend that I was in Vegas hanging out with you. So they they yep. hold all the leverage if uh, if Dallas wins this weekend. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, for me it's it's crucial. The the Eagles have to hold on to this bike for the for the 49ers, It's not nearly as crucial because they just went into Philly. I think that was the greatest part of the game. And and being wrong was they just rubbed it in the Philly mm-hmm. fans' face. And yeah, they did. And Philly can be a harsh environment, but you come out and play like that, you deserve to stare those fans in the face. And, and Debo sure as hell did it. It, it. That was a cool sight because, uh, damn, he had a game. Yeah, I mean, he had a career day. Um, they're going to play Dallas, but I wanted to talk a little bit about their game against Seattle. That this was This was a game I was looking forward to all year from Dallas because as I've said multiple times on the podcast is I I'm not going to believe in Dak till he faces some adversity and it's to no fault of his own that they play the games that are in front of them and we overhype the NFC East every effing year going into the preseason thinking Washington's going to be a tough matchup and the Giants are going to be good but <laughs> Dallas hasn't really you know seriously like you we thought the Giants would be good not this bad going into the season they made the freaking playoffs last year I mean I hate um, Daniel Jones but but yeah like come on I would expect it five wins yeah yeah not a dumpster fire but they finally got a little pushback right from Seattle. DK Metcalf had three touchdowns. Gino was playing well. The defense was doing okay. And time after time again, Dak Prescott's been delivering, man. And this is, you know, we, we've been kind of hard on Dak, right? Um, we had our whole Kirk cousins or Dak Prescott conversation last year. And it's, it's kind of easy to pick on Dak because he plays for the Cowboys and he's choked. Like <laughs> there's really no beating around the bush. Um, this is by far the best quarterbacking he's played in his career. He has full grasp of that Mike McCarthy offense, him and CD lamb are on the right page. As I mentioned in money talk, 
I think that signing of Brandon Cooks was so crucial because it just opens up the field even more. And using our boy out of Wisconsin, Jake Ferguson, perfectly has really put this team into a nice rhythm. And they finally faced some adversity against Seattle. Now, Seattle's secondary is good, right? Like, we like some of their pieces that they have. Their pass rush is solid. And, you know, they gave Cowboys a lot of pushback. And we mentioned going into the game Thursday night, like, you know, Seattle's season's on the line. Like, they are slowly slipping out of playoff contention week after week. They're playing the Niners this week, man. And what did Dak do? Go down the field, score touchdowns and ultimately ice the game against Seattle, uh, winning a thriller Thursday night. And and I think the Cowboys are in a better position than they honestly ever have been with Dak Prescott at quarterback. And uh, man, Seattle, I, I hate to say it, but I think, think the end is near for them. Yeah, and I did not get to watch this game. Being a Thursday night game, I was at work. I you know tried to keep up with some of the some of my buddies at work, keeping me up on the box score and the overall score of the game. I was shocked that it was a shootout. Uh, we had talked last week about this game being so big for the Seahawks, so big for Geno Smith, and, and he had to respond. And again, from not seeing the game and only knowing the the highlight tape and and then the box score, he he did he did show that he has the ability to to help this team and to be a starting quarterback. But again, it just wasn't enough. And you expect as you're spending assets on building up this defense that they would be able to be the difference maker when your quarterback comes out and plays like this. And they weren't. Yep. And that's probably a little bit of showcasing of youth because this is a very young defense. It's also a showcasing of sometimes the asset you thought you had is, isn't as good. And I know the cornerback that was so highly touted last year is now being taken out of certain play formations and certain reps. It's like, ooh, well, you thought you had two dominant corners. Maybe we have some work to be done. Um, but I really want to focus on Dak here because I, I think this has to be the year for them. And I, I don't necessarily think they're the favorites as we talked with the 49ers being the favorites, but I'm starting to get really eerie Tony Romo vibes from Dak Prescott where he, maybe he's just never going to be good enough to compete with the teams around him. This year, it's the 49ers. It's the Eagles. This Sunday, it's the Eagles. When you look back at Tony, Tony had similar problems. Oh, you got to go into Green Bay and face Aaron Rodgers. Oh, well, you know, all you had to do was hold the kick, fumbles it away. And Tony started to have seasons where things would go really well and we'd get really excited and then the injury would strike. And it's frustrating because you you have so many Cowboys fans in this country just starving for a Super Bowl championship, but it's like, but you got the seventh best, best quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> and yeah. and you're going against maybe an all-time great team in the 49ers when we look at this 20 years from now, maybe one of the best teams of all time. But you've also had the, that 49ers foundation for two or three years. You had the Zeke Elliott contract holding you back. There's just so many variables here where the Cowboys could have pushed that threshold of success and just weren't able to. And while Dak's playing better, will it even matter if he has to go up against the 49ers in the playoffs. That's why I think this Sunday's game is absolutely crucial. If he can beat the Eagles, that might be the confidence that that team really needs to really push forward and and maybe make themselves real contenders with the 49ers because until I see them beat the Eagles and beat them soundly, I'm just going to have to think this is yet another Tony Romo team.
Exactly. You're 100% right. That's exactly where my mind is. And that leads, we'll get into the game this weekend, honestly. Like, let's let's talk about it. We got Cowboys-Eagles Sunday night. Um, I'm This is the game of the day. There's another very, very good game we'll talk about. But this, this is the game of the weekend. Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. To your point, like, this is it. You and I, okay, I'll speak for myself. I'm picking the Eagles because I still need to see it. And I know that's unfair from Dak, but until you beat this Eagles team, I'm taking the Eagles. And yeah, the Eagles look bad. Yeah, the Niners punched them in the mouth. But going back to last week, Matt, Dallas let Geno Smith score 35 points on them in Jerry World. You don't think Philly's going to be coming into that building pissed off knowing their one seed's on the line and put up less than 35 or at least compete and keep putting up points with Dallas? Which defense is going to make a stop? Which quarterback's going to make the mistake? If I had to put my money on the line, which one was going to do it? I'm still picking Dak over Hertz to make the mistake. So here we are recording midway through the week here. I'm taking Philly. I think Philly wins by more than three and a half, to be honest with you. And I think we're all going to be reminded of who Dak is. And if I am wrong, if I am wrong, we can actually next week on the podcast have the honest conversation of has that Dallas team completely graduated from that game that you and I watched hanging out in Vegas when I was in town for the Packer game. I think this is two-sided, Matt, because logically speaking, I would agree with you. But there's just a feeling that I have that the Eagles just got absolutely jacked in the face. And I don't know that they're ready to stand back up yet. Hmm. And it's the opposite narrative of what you just spoke on, because you would assume they're ready to go right back to war. But you've got a banged up quarterback. You've got an older offensive line. You know, your weapons have been taking an absolute beating over the last few weeks. And then you have the opposite. Cowboys are they're heating up. They're really starting to find their, their groove. You have defenders, five touchdown returns on interceptions, <laughs> right? Nobody's. You got guys making plays. And I'm a really big believer in momentum. I think the Cowboys win this game. I think they move on with the momentum. I think the bigger takeaway will be if the Eagles do lose, are they demoralized? Do the injuries really start to set in? Does Jalen Hurts set out a week? You know, Do they completely lose the momentum that they've carried all season since their Super Bowl loss? And what kind of questions do we derive then? Because all we've been talking about is roster construction for this team, <laughs> the great assets they've that they've added. When in reality, it's the 49ers that have done the really great foundational work for their roster. And the Eagles have too, but we saw it firsthand. 49ers were way better. Yeah. So I think the Cowboys win this game, and I think the bigger questions coming out of this game is, where do the Eagles now fall? Yeah. And that's a very dangerous question with an old team and an injured quarterback. Um, I really don't like the the beating that AJ Brown is taking. I mean, the guy is an absolute freak show, but he goes to war every single Sunday, and he's not Terrell Owens. Well, in the yeah, sorry, but this is like what was it like two two or three weeks ago? We're, we we were like we're gonna get to this point in the season now where all these teams at the top are going to be 
battle tested, remember? Mm-hmm. And I forget the team that wasn't going to be battle tested moving forward. It wasn't the Packers because we weren't having that conversation. But like, it's funny to hear you say this, right? Like, I don't like the beating. I don't like what we're having. And two weeks ago, you said, I like that they will be battle tested. So we'll see. Like, we'll see here because they play Dallas this week and then they, they is in the Eagles play Dallas this week and then they play Seattle next week and then someone else good after that. And then it's kind of a <sighs> exhale right before they inevitably make the playoffs. I'm curious to see if you still think that they're battle tested because they get these wins or if it's like, damn, that schedule was just too brutal because even the Niners, same way, right? Like they yep. have tough games. They got to play the Ravens here coming up in a couple of weeks. They've got uh, they've got they got the Rams. They've got someone else. They've got tough games that they're going to play. Right. And it's like maybe it's not who's more battle tested. It's literally the survival of the fittest here. Like who's coming in as fresh as possible or shit, Matt, maybe I am right. And the Eagles just go and whoop their ass. Well, and, and listen, and it's just like, you know what I mean? Like this, the, we're, we're finally at that, that breaking point of the season of battle tested or like we, the wind is out of our sails, man. You know, if the Eagles can win, I agree with you. I, I, I absolutely agree with you, but I, because this is an important bounce back momentum, then, sh- then shifts, right? We got our asses beat by the 49ers. Okay. Hey, that was one week. Same thing the Cowboys were saying after they lost to the Niners, which was Parsons on his own show saying, hey, they're not that much better than us, even though they dropped us. We, we will be back. And hell, I loved the confidence. I thought he was out of his mind. But, <laughs> yeah. but I have to believe that his perception was they, they aren't that much better than us. We can do this. We, we will be back there and we'll find out. Now, if the Eagles come into Dallas and they win, okay, the Eagles will probably be saying the same things to themselves, right? We will go back to battle with the 49ers. We will have our chance at revenge. Let's keep this train moving forward. You know, again, back to the battle test. We've got some injuries, but we're pushing forward for a championship. But they lose to Dallas. That is exactly where I think we fall into the narrative of survival of the fittest. Maybe they just weren't able to survive the schedule. A lot is on the line this weekend, and I, I know the regular season doesn't matter as much as it used to, but coming off the 49ers and then going to Dallas, it's these tough. are massive games. I don't remember a regular season opponent having to go up against the arguable one and two with momentum on the line. It, it's a very interesting schedule this season, and, and kudos to the NFL for for putting this together. Yeah, I agree. It's... It's going to be a lot. I'm excited, even for the Niners. Like, it's not not going to be this game against Seattle. Isn't going to be a cupcake. They're ten and a half point favorites. Um, if they win, they will win. I'm assuming they'll win. But like, I don't, I don't think Seattle is going to be a ten point walk in the park, even though they're at home. You know what I mean? It's it's a division game. Um, but the other game I, I really wanted to talk about was last year, the year before. We're not talking. Dallas, Philly, the way we are, we're talking Buffalo, Kansas City. Like yeah. th- this game isn't really being getting talked about much this week. It's early, you know. Um, this is the this is this is it for Buffalo. They're six and six. Like this is it, bro. They have to win. They're two and a half point dogs in Kansas City. Our Packers just, you know, not handedly, but they 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 beat the Chiefs. Say what you want about the flags. The Packers are the better team that night. 
And the Bills are coming off a bye, which is something really sneaky here. And we all know that Mahomes has had Josh Allen's number over the past few seasons. Um, Similar to how I felt last week, this game's in Kansas City. I actually feel really sneaky good about the Bills this week. I thought their game that they lost to Philly, they looked really good. They were starting to click, but maybe it was that Philly D, right? Like maybe that Philly defense just, you know, isn't that great. But Kansas City lost some guys to injury to Green Bay, and it's starting to come to light more and more how much this offense is going to struggle in Kansas City with the lack of weapons on the outside. I I guess I'm picking two dogs as we're going through this, but I think Buffalo is going to beat Kansas City, stay alive in their playoff hopes, and KC's going to you know, have to do a little soul-searching here. I, I just think Kansas City's not that great. Yeah, um, I'm going to say I'm proud of myself, Matt. Um, <laughs> I I think I was spot on. You thought I think I was a little crazy when I said the Packers had a, were a better team, and I, I think we saw that, but I don't think it actually speaks up to the volume of the Packers. This Chiefs team sucks. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but I'm in regards to their record, okay? They are propped up on Patrick Mahomes. That's what I said last week, right? Propped yeah, up on yeah. Patrick Mahomes. It reminds me this team of the of the Green Bay Packer teams with Brett Favre when Javon Walker was the best wide receiver. When you know Walker wasn't even there and it was Antonio Freeman. When when Favre's just out there making plays, because that's what Patrick was doing. I mean, he he fell down and threw a first down, and I just yeah, he's I looked around the room when no one was in it, and I looked at my dog and said, "How the f do you do that? Like, how is that even possible?" And yet he's out here making these plays, and it's like you're you're the only reason this isn't a blowout. Now again, Nick Bolton was out. We've talked about that. I think four weeks in a row of how big of a piece he is, but. It's incredible. He's an incredible quarterback. The rest of that team is not very good. And I I think we are going to start to see that this week. I think we're going to see it in the playoffs. He needs help. And you let a bunch of 24 and 25-year-olds beat you. Kelsey looked old. old. Um, and I'm not trying to disrespect the Chiefs here because – it's again, it's Angie, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, but I got to watch the entire game and it it's bad out there. And Josh Allen and Diggs and, you know, the rookie tight end, you've got pieces on the other side that can score points. I, I got to take the Bills and I, I think the Bills have a pretty, uh, I, again, I like to say this, Bills win by 10. And um, <laughs> it's your number. That's my number. It's <laughs> my go-to. And I, again, I was wrong about the Eagles. I could be wrong here, but I know the Packers really well. We know the Packers really well. They're a, they're becoming a good football team. Not a great team. Got a lot of weaknesses. Can't find rhythm at times. They were the better team significantly to me on Sunday, and that scared the shit out of me for the for the Chiefs fans because it's a lot of holes you got to fill over this offseason. Yeah, a lot of holes and going back to money talk, like not a lot of money to fill them with, yep. you know? We were sitting here at the trade deadline, like go get Hopkins. I don't know how you can figure it out. Salary cap wise, call Tennessee, make it happen, right? They didn't make anything happen and they let Juju leave. And 
it's crazy that that actually is is hurting them. You know, like I like Rashi Rice and he's he's a nice player, but Juju kind of made those easy catches when they needed a first down and different things like that. And I, I like Buffalo's roster. I, I loved what I saw out of them in Philadelphia. The freaking Eagles kicker made a 59 or it was a 50 something yard field goal in the pouring rain to send the game to overtime. Okay. Like, I don't know what the football gods have against Josh <laughs> Allen in overtime, but like sometimes that's just the way the ball bounces and the cookie crumbles. Right. And I just, I, I, I have a weird feeling about Buffalo. The time is now McDermott will get fired if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, we'll see if the guys want to play for him. And I think, you know, similar to Mahomes, to Lamar Jackson, you know, we're going to see a run out of Miami this year. Like the window is closing. Right. The money is allocated in these places here and Buffalo. This is it. They've got to in true Aaron Rodgers fashion. They, they've got to run the table and they have to make a move. And if they don't this weekend, they're they're up their backs against the wall. So I, I, I love them. I think they're the more desperate team and coming off a bye. That's huge. Well, and, and this was a conversation I had with someone this week, and I I think it's so true. That MVS play at the end of the game this past Sunday for the for the Chiefs and Packers game, where the the PI was not called, I had said flat out, "Are you throwing that flag?" It's Marquez Valdez Scanling. No, this is a very similar to a baseball analogy where it's like you're not going to get a strike if you're a 200 hit, or you're not going to get a ball if you're a 200 hitter. I'm calling it the strike. Like, swing the bat. Like MVS, go out and catch a ball. Like the refs are human beings. They know he dropped the pass last week to win the game or two weeks ago to win the game. Like they, they're going to encourage a tougher play for him to make a catch. Like he, he's not anything special. And on the flip side this Sunday, you have Stefan Diggs. You're damn right. If anyone even breathes on Diggs, they're throwing a flag because he does <laughs> yeah. deserve that respect. And it'll be interesting to see if this Diggs and Allen duo can can kind of spark some momentum with each other and and make a run here because you're right this game will determine the season they cannot fall to six and seven it just can't happen and momentum again could could really start to elevate this team especially after a hard-fought game um in philadelphia two weeks ago i think i think buffalo has is perfectly primed to really punch the chiefs in the mouth yeah, for sure. Into your baseball analogy, I thought as you were saying that, it's like, yeah, that's usually why you get that late whistle in basketball when LeBron or yeah, you no, know, maybe not Giannis, but some of these like KD misses a layup. It's like, oh, KD didn't miss that layup because he got fucked out. You know what I mean? Like, if KD misses a like, if Kevin Durant is missing a layup, I yeah. promise you he got fouled. Right? Like yeah. the refs are like, oh shit, oh my god. But it's like I missed it. Yes, yeah. was it pi? Was it pi on Valdez Scantling? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, it was okay. Yeah. But yeah, he didn't sell it, and the refs are probably just like, oh, he probably just missed it. Well, you yeah, know this guy I mean? sucks. Like, <laughs> it, it looked, it looked bang bang in real time. Yeah, yeah, loved it. It's and it's crazy because, you know, again back to the construction. Like the Bills found a way to pay Allen and Diggs, yet the Chiefs didn't find a way to bring in Hopkins. If that's Hopkins, there's four flags surrounding him. And, yeah, or he's or he's mossing that kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's catching the ball as he right. shakes him off. Yeah, it's but it's MVS. It's a guy that probably should be the fourth wide receiver 
for the Green Bay Packers. Not the number one downfield option for Patrick Mahomes, but right. they chose to pay him, which is ironic because he had again another receiver that got paid very similar to Alan Lazard and is just not very good. Yeah. Yeah. Had one nice playoff game last year, but yeah, I mean, not all money's created equal. Go ask the Patriots, right? They let Jacoby Myers walk out the door, yeah. brought Juju in mistake. We see, we see every, every year, every team just kind of going full circle into how we started the podcast. Like it's, it's just the decisions that you make as organizations. Um, Two random thoughts before we leave. Um, Jake Browning is gonna get gonna get Cincinnati some massive trade value. I if I am a team that's gonna miss out on the top two quarterbacks, I'm calling Cincinnati and trading for this kid. Matt, I'll send you the video of the game last night. I know you didn't watch too much. Kid was fucking spinning it. Okay. Like I get that he was throwing it to Jamar Chase, but he's a starting quarterback. He's better than every quarterback on New England. He's better than the guys in Pittsburgh, in my opinion, better than the guys in Atlanta. I mean, there's teams. If you're these teams, if you're the Jets, I'm making a phone call. Okay. First and foremost. Second, Matt, I think potentially, maybe, I don't know if this is a super hot take. Instead of pushing Brock Purdy in the MVP conversation, is it is is it outrageous? to put CJ Stroud in there if they get to the playoffs this year. Do they have to win the division for him to be put into the conversation? I said this to you just a few days ago, and I'll say it here. I think you're talking about a completely different conversation in four weeks. I think Jordan Love is in the conversation. I think CJ Stroud is in the conversation. I think Brock Purdy is the MVP, and if we're talking all three of these guys, he's just done it consistently and he's operating for the best team in the league. Now, when you look at Shroud's numbers and you look at, you look at Love's numbers in four weeks, you're going to see some eye-popping numbers, but also we've seen the up and downs of Jordan this season. That's not an right. MVP. It's a really nice development path. Same thing for CJ, a really nice development path. A couple guys that I think you can look at and be happy to toss some money on next year for a potential MVP. But it's not ridiculous. Uh, votes probably will be cast. But as much as I absolutely hate to say it because I've not been a Brock Purdy supporter, he he is the MVP right now. And it's not him. It's his teammate Christian McCaffrey. But the problem is Tebow Samuel is maybe better than Christian McCaffrey, which is wild. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think four weeks is a long time. Again, injuries happen, ups and downs happen. I expect the Niners to lose one more game we're not expecting. It could be this week against the Seahawks. They play them really well. Yep. And that, that'll that be a really big determining factor, too, as narratives shift. CJ losing Tank Dell could be really Huge. interesting. Now expect Nico Collins to be an absolute fantasy monster over the next four weeks and probably help you win your leagues. But... um yeah, I, I, I'm really curious to see what the final numbers are for CJ and for Jordan and for yeah. for Brock because we also could be talking about Jalen climbing back into this if he has an absolute ridiculous four weeks. It, it, there's a lot of football left, but no, not ridiculous. Not ridiculous. Okay, cool. Because he like I was just looking through the numbers, like he's leading the league in passing right now. And with the Trevor Lawrence injury uh Monday nights, they are a game back in the could loss win. column of Division. Jacksonville. Like yeah. it, to to your point. 
three, four weeks from now, like these guys could be going in with a home game in the playoffs, right? Unfortunate, super shitty for Jacksonville. Like I'm, I'm a big Lawrence guy. I'm a big fan. I still believe in him. Um, but yeah, I, I just was like kind of combing through some stats as we were prepping, kind of talking about running backs, whatever, for a different time. It's like, dang, dude, this kid easily should be in the conversation. So, okay, cool. I'm glad. glad well, you and uh, again, though, Matt, same thing could happen with Jordan. Like, I'm yeah. not here pumping Green Bay as a, you know, a Super Bowl contender. I, I think they probably lose their first playoff game if they don't win the division. But the Lions could shit the bed here. They they could they could I mean they're only this. three point favorites to Chicago exactly this weekend, right they like, lose to the Bears this narrative two is, games up on us like yeah it, it could get really interesting and it, to me it's a shame because it's not even close it is Brock Purdy um, they, there's not much that these guys could do to not make it Brock Purdy it's more like what could Brock Purdy do to take it from himself. My and, my problem with Brock is the problem I have with the Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman argument in baseball. It's like when when you get to a certain point when you're on a team that's so elite with so many different weapons and so many, you know, hey, well, when Trent Williams was out, you don't play good. Or when Debo was out, there was this. We lost here. Like, it's so hard for me to agree with you and be on board with like, yeah, it's for sure Brock because they as a whole unit are so good. I get that he's the straw that stirs the drink, but it's just, I feel like the word value, and this is like the classic MVP conversation, especially basketball fans chill out is like, <laughs> seriously, like, Oh, fucking Embiid or Jokic chill. But, um, like value, a value to the team. Like if you really think about it right now, it, it is Stroud. They were the well, second no, overall. No, no, pick. no, 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 no. Listen, it's Tyree kill and it's not even okay. Close. I, okay. If yeah. we're, if, if we're going to, and I agree with you, if we're going to listen to that narrative, right. Where if it's not Purdy because of the weapons, well, then you give it to the number one weapon in the NFL. And okay. listen, I, I would, I just, I'm sorry, Tyreek. I was just thinking pure quarterbacks here. I was also really just naive with that. Today, it is still Tyreek Hill for me. Um, and then it's Brock Purdy because Tyreek Hill is unbelievable. And yeah. Purdy's been really, really good, but like he, he hasn't been blowing the doors off. He's just utilizing his weapons to your point. And yeah, I think CJ is, God, he's, he's very good. But it, when you're going up against Purdy and the best team, again, maybe a generational team, yeah. I think really, how do you not put that guy ahead of what CJ is doing? But then you're talking about Tyreek Hill, who's probably going to break Cooper Cup's record. He, to me, he's, he's going to hit 2,000 yards. Yeah, He's the most valuable player in the NFL right now. Hall of Fame talent. I mean, you saw the, the comment that was made this week about um, Randy Moss and him. Wes Welker. Yeah, and I... I actually agreed with it. And Randy Moss is probably my favorite receiver of all time, even over Calvin Johnson. And watching Tyreek, it's like, you're right. There is nothing he can't do. But he's not just out here casually catching, you know, 60-yard touchdowns from from Tua because, again, Washington plays him man-to-man. Dude, um, well, in the second touchdown oh. he caught, like everyone was talking about, like the adjustment he made was a center field center fielder adjustment looking over his right shoulder switch flipping his hips to the other side seamless like 
made that look so easy when like baseball players don't do that well. And he's doing that with pads in a football. Like it's, I, I agree with you. Like it, he probably, if we, maybe we should do this next week. Like, I think, I think he might be number one on my list too. Yeah. Honestly, well, and- like what he's doing is he's the best player on that football field every week. Well, and, to, and, and I, I brought it up because, again, I was stupid and just didn't even think about it. Um, but Tua could be in the argument too, right? Like, but for sure. Same conversation with Purdy. It's like, but Tua, you're, you have Tyree Kill, Purdy, you have McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. Like, we're talking about the maybe three of the five best weapons in the NFL that these two quarterbacks get to play with. The difference is I'm taking Tyree Kill over both of them. Right for my team, I agree, and that that is that is valuable. Like I can't even the thought of taking one player over Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel is wild, um, and that's the value that Tyreek has given it. I'm so happy I got to watch this season of Tyreek Hill because it's yeah. the thought of flipping the hips. I I couldn't do it playing backyard football, and you're right, the guy just does it like that. It's yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive. All right, let's wrap it up. We're we're at, we're well over time. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at PitcherBetPod. You guys enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your football. We'll see ya.